Over the years, the clients, the customers, our members really asked us to continue to invest in technology enabling the supply chain. That really was the notion of bringing AI, machine learning, predictive technology into the supply chain setting. So, you know, think about as you're making a decision, a clinical decision from a supply perspective, they want the ability to look at clinical outcomes as it relates to the utilization of specific products. So uh, they want that kind of data. They want the data on appropriate utilization. Do they use one or two per procedure and what's showing the best outcome and those kinds of things. So that tie between the clinical and the supply chain data is absolutely critical. Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanaban, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Palbox. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Mike Alkire. He's the incoming CEO for Premier Inc. Mike, thank you so much for setting aside the time, and welcome back to our show. Hey, Patty, thanks for having me back. You're most welcome. You're most welcome. So, Mike, why don't we dive right into this? What are you seeing as the big trends driving the healthcare industry in the wake of the pandemic? What are you hearing from your major customers? Yeah, so just a few things. First, obviously, I think along with the general public, our healthcare systems are are really focused on getting as many shots and arms as possible. So we're trying to bring an efficiency to the supply chain of the vaccine. So that's their very first core focus. Second focus is getting back to normalcy. So the healthcare systems obviously have been really caring for the COVID patients. And really our our focus over the at least the last few months is really helping our healthcare systems think about what does the new normal look like and leveraging some of those, what the silver linings in the cloud that was COVID. So A couple of things that obviously that sort of underpin that first is that we had some pretty significant lessons learned as it related to the COVID virus. One is we have to create a more resilient supply chain. So very, very quickly, what happened was there was this huge demand supply imbalance and Premier had to go out and stand up additional capabilities to, you know, secure additional masks and isolation gowns and gloves and, and drugs. And what we found was that this supply chain that you know was being utilized by U.S. healthcare, it wasn't resilient enough. And so we've got a big focus on, Patty, trying to diversify that. We partnered with a number of our healthcare systems to create domestic production of, of N95s and other masks. We've also partnered with them down the lines of creating manufacturing isolation gowns domestically as well. We're going to continue down that path from a supply chain standpoint. From a technology standpoint, there were a few lessons learned as well. 
One was that we didn't have the technology to ascertain what the inventory levels look like across the healthcare system. And I'm talking healthcare system all with caps. And we're right now working with a few uh, agencies or organizations within the federal government to leverage some of our technology that would potentially help them in the future pandemic dynamically allocate product. Because what has happened in the last few months or the last number of months is that everybody's trying to create stockpiles and it's creating an incredible inefficiency in the market. And we believe that if we could leverage technology, we could understand inventory levels and we could dynamically allocate product where it was you know, needed so that not everybody was going out and trying to create these stockpiles all at the same time. That technology partnered along with the technology that we created using AI and some predictive capabilities that we created on the, the onset of the virus. We used both public and our data. And as the, the virus progressed, we built out some models based upon utilization of PPE and generic drugs to forecast where those products were going to be needed depending on where that virus spread. So those two technologies are, you know, I think are very critical and, and things that we need to, to really think about. And the last one, and if you're more interested, I can get into some detail, but we also need technology to really support the federal government and public health officials around syndromic surveillance. And if you're interested, we can get into that as well. Yeah, I do want to unpack a couple of the comments that you made. I want to start with the comment you made about the fact that our supply chains lack resiliency. Help me understand that. Are you talking about lacking resiliency because we are over-dependent on certain types of sources or because we have now become a supply chain that's so much just in time that you have a Suez Canal type incident and then everything is thrown off. What are you referring to there? Yeah, I think both of those examples, Patty, would actually sort of go under the header of supply chain resiliency. I think the number one, though, is we had way, way too much dependency on China in Southeast Asia for these critical products. And what happened, Patty, is that, you know, when the pandemic hit, there were all sorts of instances of, again, constriction of supply products from where we historically had gotten products. And in a lot of cases, a lot of this was China. But, you know, Patty, we contract manufacture for PPE. We probably... We probably do six billion or, or so gloves a year. We stood up production in Taiwan N95 face masks as well. You know, when we needed it the most domestically, we were unable to get it out of the factory that we had contract manufactured those products for. And all that product was for the most part shipped to mainland China. And so that's just one example. Another example is, you know, during the peak of the virus. Filtration media is really, really critical to an N95. It's primarily produced in China and India. China embargoed the shipment of all that filtration media. So that was all going to the production of N95s in China and nowhere else in the world. And and that created a big issue. And there's other instances where I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but I'm just saying we had an over-dependence on one country. And, And the other area that I've been talking about this since basically 2011, if not earlier, is we have way too much over-dependence on China and other Southeastern Asian places for generic drugs, especially those that are in chronically short supply, as well as those active pharmaceutical ingredients that go into those drugs. Yeah, that's very helpful to understand that from a global perspective. 
most of us, uh, for the most part, are not even aware of where our gloves and our N95 masks come from. So this is really helpful perspective. Now, let's talk about the other thing that you mentioned, which is using data analytics technology to really ring out additional efficiencies, get better with uh, the distribution processes. Can you talk a little bit more about, in, in our podcast, we tend to talk a lot about digital transformation, but most of the time we are talking about changing the patient experience and giving them more tools for online access to care, telehealth, virtual visits, and so on. We rarely talk about the back end, which is where there's a lot of money, if I may say so, to be made or to be saved, as the case may be, by just getting better with your supply chain processes. And who better than Premier to talk about how to really drive those kinds of efficiencies? So could you talk a little bit about how you've driven that kind of transformation for yourself as well as for your clients? Yeah, so a couple areas, as you sort of refer to it as the back-end technology. So over the years, the clients, the customers, our members, really asked us to continue to invest in technology enabling the supply chain. That really was the notion of bringing AI, machine learning, predictive technology into the supply chain setting. So, you know, think about as you're making a decision, a clinical decision from a supply perspective, they want the ability to look at clinical outcomes as it relates to the utilization of specific products. So they want that kind of data. They want the data on appropriate utilization. Do they use one or two per procedure and what's showing the best outcome and those kinds of things. So that tie between the clinical and the supply chain data is absolutely critical as our healthcare systems are continuing to figure out ways to transform their supply chain. We also made some pretty significant investments just prior to the pandemic, but then, of course, during the pandemic, on really building out an e-commerce platform to help the non-acute side of our customer base get access to product. So if you remember, during the pandemic, New York City and Seattle were hit hardest first. Right. Seattle it sort of you know exhibited itself in nursing homes and long-term care facilities. Historically, those kinds of organizations didn't have a great deal of access to PPE. So our platform uh, called Stocked, S-T-O-C-K-D, is a platform that it has reliably sourced products. So organizations in our acute setting actually buy products on that platform. But we open it up to actually provide access to non-acute folks that were not affiliated with Premier that could allow them to get access to these products that, again, were reliably sourced and had a you know a strong chain of custody, which is re- obviously really, really important to protect the caregivers who were caring for those patients. So that's right. number one. And then number two, Patty, we made it most recently, we made an investment in a company called IDS. And what IDS does is it's all about e-invoicing and e-payables. And we believe, along with our ERP and our front-end stocked program, that we now have sort of an end-to-end procure-to-pay technology ability, truly all the way from the purchase point on the e-commerce platform, all the way through e-invoicing and then through e-payment. And we believe by leveraging that IDS technology, our healthcare systems can centralize the whole invoicing function across their health system and the accounts payable function. So we're incredibly excited 
about integrating all those data assets and bringing that, all that efficiency to our health system. Fascinating stuff, but really, really, uh, this is so interesting. You did mention syndromic surveillance, and I know that when you were back, you were on my podcast back, uh, I guess, in, in the summer or fall of last year, and we had J- Dr. Jonathan Slotkin, who is part of Contigo and also part of Geisinger. We talked a great deal about the syndromic surveillance the tools that uh, the algorithms that we, you were using to get early indications of who is likely to be contracting COVID. Now we are in the vaccine moment. So at a very broad level, COVID-19 cases are going down. Uh, we are now at a moment in time when we're trying to roll out vaccination across the country. Have you been able to use some of the same tools to repurpose them towards uh, the vaccine distribution effort? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so just as a quick reminder for your guests, Patty, we took a technology that we were utilizing to help our healthcare systems manage for PAMA, which were the CMS Medicare guidelines for high-cost imaging utilization. And we were looking at the unstructured notes of the electronic medical record using natural language technology, natural right. language processing to obviously create the mechanism for using appropriate utilization of, of images. And, and we, we pivoted that very, very quickly. And because we could get after that, the unstructured notes, the unstructured data, we could actually look at symptoms of the disease and we could you know identify where there were surges or mm-hmm. where there was a significant part of the disease. That's something that we do think that uh, various health officials should really begin to think about because what it allows is because the data is at a zip code level, what it allows is for public health officials to create different models to protect populations depending on where the surges were. You didn't have to shut a whole state down. You can look at various zip codes and determine where there were surges and those kinds of things. That same kind of technology We've been having dialogue with various, again, different parts of the federal government about looking at the success rates of the vaccines and uh, also looking at the clinical efficacy of the vaccine and those kinds of things. So we're primarily just in conversations, Patty, because it was so quick upon us, we weren't able to get the, the product out. But we are certainly in the discussions to say for future events, we have not just Premier, but there's a number of organizations that have the technology underpinning that could truly support them as they're either developing a new vaccine or as they're launching one. Awesome. Awesome. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Well, let's switch gears here a little bit. Mike, you are about to take over as the CEO of Premier on the 1st of May, if I'm not mistaken. And may I, first of all, offer my sincere congratulations on your appointment to CEO. Thank you, Patty. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm both humbled, but I'm also excited. I'm humbled in that I follow in some, you know, pretty big footsteps of Susan, and she's done a remarkable job at Premier. But I'm also incredibly excited about our future. And you have been a part of this journey for the past 18 years or so that you've been at Premier. And so you've seen it all unfold in front of your eyes. As you take on the role of CEO, can you maybe share with us what new areas do you anticipate are going to take up your time and attention? 
Yeah, I think, you know, they fall under two pretty broad buckets. One is I think we've got to leverage all the technology and capabilities that I've been talking about to really accelerate value to our members, our partners, and then thereby doing that also then obviously accelerate value to our investors and shareholders. So I think accelerating the utilization of that technology, getting it implemented, helping our healthcare systems get back to normal and truly delineating that value, I think, is is going to be really, really critical. So that's number one. The second area, and, and kind of, you know, I guess it relates to the first, but the three principles that kind of we're thinking about that we need to really leverage to do that is, uh, one, we need to help our healthcare systems reduce the waste in healthcare. We think that, you know, approximately 30% of, of the cost is waste. And we want to help them with evidence-based AI-enabled guidelines, you know, actually embedded in the workflow to actually drive that waste out. That's number one. Number two, Patty, you and I started talking about it. We want to modernize and tech-enable the supply chain. We think that there's a ton of manual tasks. There's a ton of data that's not being utilized at the point of decisions. And we want to make sure that we're bringing that information transparently to the, the decision makers. And sort of 2B to that, Patty, is also answering your question. We've got to continue to build out more resiliency in that supply chain, look for more opportunities to domestically manufacture products, especially those that are highly automated. And generic drugs are a perfect example of that. Finish fill, as well as some of the APIs, we need to be thinking about how to do that more domestically, as well as near shore. And then finally, we need to continue to evolve our technologies to help our healthcare systems truly thrive in a value-based care economy. So those kinds of capabilities include clinical decision support, which you know obviously we believe is going to be really important as you know healthcare systems are going to be sort of on the hook to deliver high levels of care, high quality care by both employers as well as payers. And then obviously at a patient level as well. That's right. That's right. And as you look at the environment around you, and you mentioned value-based care, we're all aware that the shift towards value-based care is perhaps not as fast, not as rapid, not as uh, deep as we might have expected. We are still in a predominantly fee-for-service environment. However, the marketplace has its own way of recalibrating the market for products and services. And so we are now at a moment when we have big technology players like Amazon, for instance, getting into core care delivery. We've got digital first companies that are offering or delivering healthcare in a more digitally enabled, digital first kind of way. And we've got all the non-traditional players uh, like CVS and Walgreens and Walmart looking at the healthcare space. What does it all mean for your clients and consequently for Premier? Well, first of all, Patty, you can expect there's always going to be new competitors given that healthcare is such a significant part of the gross national product of this country. So we happen to believe that the competition is good as it unleashes innovation. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it provides better levels of, of patient satisfaction. And it provides, obviously, 
it, as you know, more innovation becomes online, it, it provides more choices and, and obviously a better overall system. You know, it's interesting. I, I think our health systems, specifically the ones that are tied with Premier, are, you know, are embracing the challenges and the demands of all this innovation. And we see it every day as, as they're building out new capabilities around telehealth and virtual health. And our clinical decision support capabilities is a really important underpinning of that so that you can drive a level of consistency as you think about all these virtual visits. You think about, you know, our health systems as they're building out more models around hospitals at home and mobile clinics and the need mm-hmm. for all that clinical decision support. Patient engagement tools are going to be critical. And then, again, we believe that vertical and horizontal integration is going to continue. So horizontally, healthcare systems coming together to create more scale. Vertically, you're going to see them get into other areas of service that outside of the four walls of the hospital to include areas like post-acute pharmacy, integrated primary care, and those kinds of things. All of this potentially expands your own addressable market and potentially opens up brand new market opportunities for Premier. Is that a fair statement? It's very fair. And and that's the reason we're so focused on the technology enablement of both sides of our business, both the clinical as well as the supply chain. Because as they vertically integrate, it's going to be extremely important to ensure that that information flow is seamless and accurate you know, as we're caring for patients across the continuum. So, and that you have the right clinical data, the right safety data, the right supply chain data, so folks can make decisions along that, you know, entire vertical integration. So, Patty, it just goes back to sort of our primary premise, which is this technology enablement is so critical, especially using advanced technologies like AI, machine learning, natural language processing, and technology. Yeah, just to push that point one step further, are there any potential uh, other implications? For instance, you talked about the horizontal integration among health systems. So when health systems bulk up, if you will, uh, they're looking for economies of scale. And what that potentially means is that the service providers or suppliers, such as Premier, for instance, might feel a little bit of price pressure. And so Does that mean, therefore, that you have to stay one step ahead by making your own operations a little bit more efficient so that you can protect your margins while continuing to be of value in the emerging landscape? Is that a valid assessment? Well, it's it's a very fair statement. But I, I think, Patty, you know, we're so fortunate in that we have this incredibly strong network of innovative healthcare systems that I think, you know, constantly pushes to innovate and bring us ideas around how to create more efficiency for them, right? So they, as opposed to each of them building out the clinical decision support and technology for global payment, they're coming to us and saying, can you build those kinds of things out? As opposed to each of them blockchain enabling those sophisticated e-invoicing and e-payment systems are saying, can you build that out for us? So we look at it as a, a little bit different spend. It, we look at it as the opportunity as, as all this technology continues to advance and the shifting landscape continues to evolve. We believe that because of that tight connectivity we have with our health systems, we're going to be able to innovate right along with them and create technology and services to help them become more efficient. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to seeing how all this plays out. It's going to be very, very exciting for 
the entire industry. So we're coming up to the end of our time here. I just have a couple quick questions for you. Now, Mike, you've had a long and successful career, and many of my listeners, especially those who are younger and are in early stages of building their careers, would want to know a few leadership lessons from you. So would you care to share one or two, maybe talk about one thing that you wish someone had told you when you were younger? I'll leave it to you. All right. Thank you. I probably, Patty, I have three things. How about that? Sure. All right. So first, I think about the notion of diversity and the exposure to to diversity. And when I talk about diversity, I'm thinking of every sense of the word. I think it's important for folks to have, you know, that sort of thinking because it provides you insights and perspectives that you might never have seen before. And I so, you know, diversity in terms of, you know, people that come from different walks of life that, you know, are trained differently, that go to different schools, that think a little differently. And I, I think that's number one. It also, on the other side of that equation and diversity, I think it also gives you a bit of compassion and empathy and understanding of what others are going through. I on my podcast, I talk quite a bit about the word humanity. And what I mean by humanity is getting to know everybody as an individual, as opposed to a, a label or something else. So I think that exposure to diversity is really important. I think number two is just understand and appreciate you're going to make bad choices and or bad decisions. And to me, the most important thing throughout your career is how do you recover from decisions that didn't go the way you wanted? And so I've always sort of built a process or an internal process, if you will, of how to sort of recover very quickly from decisions that you've made that haven't gone the way that you want. And it's really important to have that perseverance to bounce back and come right back at it and, you know, with some, you know, great learning because of, you know, a decision that didn't go the way you wanted. I also think that one of my strengths was the ability to get onto the you know, next thing faster, whatever that issue was or whatever the strategy was, was really critical in my development that I didn't, I didn't just, you know, sort of harp on a bad decision or a bad strategy. I I fixed it and moved on and, you know, got into the next thing. And then the last thing, and, and this is probably in the last 15 years, but this notion of an inverted leadership structure you know, sometimes people call it the inverted pyramid of leadership. I think that's really critical. And, and really, just in quick summary, all that means is that I'm here to support, you know, my next layer of leadership and, and to take out the roadblocks that are inhibiting them from growing and, and accomplishing their jobs. And, and their job is to do the same thing for their people. I think we've got an incredibly talented group of people at Premier. And, you know, one of the things I ask my leadership team to do is make sure that you're helping your leaders manage folks and, and provide leadership to people in the most effective way possible and to just unleash their brilliance. So I think that notion of the inverted leadership structure is real as well. So if I were to summarize very briefly, the three things would be, Embrace diversity, learn from your mistakes, and uh, learn to be a servant leader? Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And since you mentioned your podcast, what are you going to do about your podcast? Now, once you become CEO, are you going to hand that off inside out? It's a fantastic podcast. And shout out to everyone who's listening. If you're not subscribed to Inside Out, you must. So what, uh, what are you going to do next with that? 
So we're having some dialogue internally at Premiere about, I'd still like to stay attached to it. I probably won't be as, you know, significantly involved as I was in the past. So, you know, I would do a couple of shows a month, those kinds of things. I probably will do four or five shows a year. And then I will have, you know, others from Premiere sort of step into that gap and uh, uh, provide leadership. And I, I, I assure you, Patty, they'll take it to much higher heights than I ever could. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that evolution of the Inside Out podcast. Great, great. Mike, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for setting aside the time. And once again, my sincere congratulations and all the very, very best to you in your new role as CEO of Premier. Patty, thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. 